Hi, welcome to Us and Kids podcast. I am your host, Jan Talon. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a wife, a mom, and a grandma. This Us and Kids podcast is about how to be married forever while you parent together. You and I know this isn't an easy task. It's not often a very happy task. But that's why I encourage you to subscribe to Us and Kids in your favorite podcasting app. That way you get it every week and it's easy to find. You've got enough other things to look for. Just make this one findable and simple. I'm glad you're here so that your marriage and your home can be fulfilling and so very good. We're going to talk today about happy hour. Now you may think, oh, happy hour? When is happy hour? I would have to get out of the house to have happy hour. I haven't left the house in months. My question is, could there be a happy hour at your house? I didn't say an alcohol hour. I was just talking about a happy hour. Hmm. How about a happy minute? How about a happy event? Or is it just make it through the day? Sort of don't kill anyone. Not that you would kill anyone, but the saying in that means, don't let your emotions become too ugly. Did you know that in November, there is actually a celebration or a day set aside for celebrating happy hour? Actually, the idea apparently dates back to the days of Aristotle. For us Americans, it dates back to early Navy days when the guys regrouped after a busy day at sea. The idea eventually spread around the world to gather after a hard day of work and just chill and relax. It usually centered around alcohol. But alcohol began to become a problem, so much so that this was interesting to me. Some states and countries have banned happy hour as it relates to the sale of alcohol. Who knew? However... Just because they banned alcohol doesn't mean we can't still have happy hours in our homes. Hmm, the question gets to be, first of all, what is happy? We know that it's usually listed as an emotion, but emotions are fleeting and finicky and temperamental. At least mine are. And even when they want to stick around, it's really not the happy ones that hang around in my head. It's the crabby ones. So where do you get happy and how do you get it to stay? You're right. I mean, we can't always guarantee that what makes us happy one minute will really make us happy the next. And to compound that, we can't guarantee that what makes other people in our household happy in one moment will be happy the next. Goodness sakes, right? Just check in with her two-year-old who one minute wanted that cracker and the next minute throws it on the floor. So we're going to take a little look at what are the components of happiness. This is going to be true for your little ones, your 7 to 12-year-olds, your teenagers, and even you adults. So this is a multifaceted um, application. Take a listen. There are three approaches or stepping stones, one of them building on the other, that builds happiness. 
There's lots of studies out there about happiness. I have picked this one to talk about today because it seems like it fits within our podcasting time, and I think that it's applicable easily enough for you guys to do in your busy everyday lives. Here's the first step. The first step of happiness or place of happiness is in that finicky emotional space. It's where you find enjoyment or pleasure in something that's small and simple. It's what makes us smile or giggle or have pleasure. So sometimes this is just somebody being kind to us. Sometimes it's when your two-year-old like actually went potty in the potty. It's when your husband or your spouse says, I'll help you with that. The small things. It makes us smile, makes us laugh, and helps us have compassion or generosity towards others. Usually when we're happy, we also feel safe or comfortable with those that we are around. This is a component of that emotional experience, is safe and comfortable. Happy often helps to build our confidence that we are liked and we are appreciated or we are needed. In our DNA for Fun communications course, we talk about that the, so much of the fighting and the tension is about whether or not we are liked. It's not what it looks like on the surface. But it's that question underneath. Are we liked? As you can see, these surrounding components, am I liked? Am I safe? Am I comfortable? Those things are important for creating spaces of happiness in your home or in your happy hour at home. So if you want a little more bounce of happiness in just the brief emotional experiences, and this is step one, has to be there in order for step two to work, then we work to create those spaces by saying, I love that about you. Not just I love that. That's about the the cracker that they gave or the water they brought you or whatever. I love that about you, that you thought of me. That says I like you. And that builds happiness. You're getting the takeaway here, aren't you, for step one? Build up in your household. Talk with your spouse, those you live with, about giving compliments affirmations, encouragements, high fives, smiles, the words, you can do it, and I'm proud of you, and please and thank you. Those are some of the comments and the looks, the attitudes that help people feel relaxed enough to let emotion of happiness come to the surface. And I think, I hope, That some part of your happy hour is filled with those kinds of happy interactions coming out of your mouth. And as you share it, more will come out of someone else's mouth. That's when everybody around the table starts to smile or giggle and relax a little more. When we have these kind of uplifting words and interactions, we can feel more confident. And that is when the next step to feeling happy in the longer run 
comes our way. Because step two is happiness grows when we take on a challenge or a bit more difficult activity, different for your two-year-olds and your three-year-olds and your 13-year-old or your 32-year-olds. But we take on a challenge or a difficult activity that we succeed at. So not an over-the-top, wouldn't be able to do it anyways, but something that you probably can do. It's just a little bit outside my wheel well. And you succeed. When we succeed at something that pushes our skills just a little bit, we have a sense of happiness, a sense of accomplishment. You see, when we learn something new and we succeed at it, we grow in confidence. And that helps us grow in compassion. Those two elements are key in what we just talked about in step one, in feeling happy. So, growing in confidence for ourselves, that we can do something a bit bigger than what we thought we could. I'm not a good cook. I don't really like to cook food. I like to bake fun things. So when I try a new recipe and it works out, I feel a little more confident and I'm pretty proud of myself, happy that I actually did something that really tastes pretty good. I might be willing to serve it to somebody else. Now think about what do you do and watch your little ones when they do something by themselves. I was with my grandkids. Fun day is grandma day. And um, the little four-year-old put on his Batman tennis shoes and he stood up straight and tall to me and he said, I did it by myself. I can tell you, these shoes are not easy to put on, especially when he won't wear socks. And I can tell you, those shoes were so on the wrong feet that they looked funny. And yet, he was proud of himself, took on the challenge and did it, while I took care of two others' little shoes. He was proud. I was proud of him. We smiled, we high-fived, and we went outside. Because in Michigan, when it's 75 in November, you go outside. Yes. You see, he took on the base of the challenge, and he succeeded at it. And that gave him more confidence. He felt safe around me to tell me he felt safe enough with those shoes on backwards. He ran around with them for two and a half hours. It builds our confidence and our belief in ourselves. Here's another example. Susie, she's seven. Mom asked her to please move the laundry from the washer to the dryer. Susie knew the difference between the washer and the dryer. That part is good, but she didn't really know what it took to do moving laundry from washer to dryer. So she started to whine and say she couldn't. And mom knelt down by Susie, eye to eye, and told her, I want you to go and open the top. And then I want you to make sure that the dryer door is open too. You have to pull sort of hard to get it to open, but pull hard and it will open. And then she said, I want you to just take out one or two things at a time. Just reach your hand in the washer. It won't bite you. And pull up one thing and then push it into the dryer. 
Okay, it might be sort of stretchy. You might have to tug at it a little bit, but it's okay. Just tug at it a little bit. Be strong and then throw it into the dryer. Mom said when everything is empty, you can stick your head down in there and look. The washer won't start. And then when you're done, just push the dryer door closed strong and then push the start button. Susie had pushed the start button before. Mom smiled at Susie, was looking her in the eye, and gave her clear, confident instructions. Susie felt happy. Mom was sure of her. And when Susie got up to the wash machine and got everything but Dad's jeans and the big towels out of the washer, Mom didn't scold Susie for not being able to get everything. She just showed Susie a little bit more about how to grab the corner of one of those big things and tug at it a little stronger and see once how it came loose. Susie did have to trust she wasn't going to fall in the washer when she pulled on those things. As Susie tried it and was able to do it, Susie and Mom giggled as one of the pant legs came out first, just dangling all over Susie. And you can see... Susie took on the challenge because of Mom's confidence. And it has Susie being able to accomplish most of it on her own. Mom, with joy, not crabbing at her, continued to teach her and encourage her, and together they won. Not just in how to move stuff from the washer to the dryer, but also in how Susie and Mom built trust with each other that mom was for her, that mom believed in her, and that helped Susie trust mom that what mom was asking her to do was going to be good for her. Let's move on, because right now we have that finicky, just emotional experience, right? And then we're going to build on the, the momentary part of happiness by adding a bit of a challenge that we're pretty sure we can do, even if it needs a little support. The third part is having to do with setting goals. Now pause, don't groan just yet, because I sort of agree with you. Setting goals feels like a chore, and it feels intimidating and judgmental. And even when I set my own goals, it can feel that way. Heck, if I don't meet my goals, then I easily can feel like a failure. And that doesn't feed into being happy at all for me. So hang with me here a minute. Hear me out. The backstory to setting goals is more about our personal approach to life. This is a much bigger umbrella kind of picture. The people that study happiness are aware that how we approach life, how we think about life, it's going to be good or it's going to be ugly and awful. And how we think about life impacts our positivity level. Now, you might say, I'm a realist. I'm a pessimist and want to be proud of it. And I'm going to suggest to you that those are good qualities when mixed in with positivity. Running all the way just positive is not going to be very healthy, but also running just in your realistic or your pessimistic level is also not very happy and, and healthy. Here we go. We want to be able to blend those in some level and way. If we take 
the bumps that we have throughout life and we interpret them so that for ourselves, we interpret them in our own hearts and minds to be that we are the victim. I'm the victim. They're always after me. I always end up on the bottom. Or I'm the martyr. I always have to give in. I always do everything for everyone. Nobody does anything for me. If we take on life with one of those two approaches, it becomes a bigger struggle to access those emotions of contentment or happiness. Likewise, if we hold grudges and resentments because they seem more protective than forgiveness, we will have a bigger struggle of moving to this third layer of happiness and contentment. One more thing in your self-evaluation. Gentle on yourselves. We'll get past this, okay? If you notice that you can be easily insulted, quickly spiteful, good at insulting and belittling, or deeply, cruelly sarcastic towards others, these are clues for you in understanding yourself and in understanding others who may interact in this way. That moving to this deeper life perspective of happiness might be a bigger challenge. This doesn't mean you won't do it. Don't hear that about this. It's not impossible. Well, some of you are thinking, oh, Jan, you don't know my life. If you'd walked in my shoes, you'd be angry too. I really am. I really was the victim. And I really do get the short end of the stick all of the time. Stay with me, okay? I would like to say to you, and I hope that you can hear this, that so much of life for many people is ugly. Life is not all pretty. Even in your pretty happy people, it's not all pretty. Everybody has a story. It doesn't diminish the fact that if you are in this spot of ugly right now, I would like you to listen to this segment with an option of looking at it as an avenue of hope. There are actions and interactions that certainly create a victim space for us. It is not uncommon that someone has used us or abused us. The challenge, the goal setting, is for us to not let them, not give them the power to create our identity and hold us in that place. As we give them, those that have used us or abused us, the definition of I'm abused, I'll never be okay, I'm damaged goods. If we hold that identity, it continues to give them that power. If we can, bit by bit, and the goals here are small, but just keep chugging away at them and you'll find that your happiness grows over time. If we can defy those who want to create an ugly identity within us, We can defy them by creating the space that says, I will win. I will be kind and I will be truthful. Remember those first elements in the first step there. 
I will not copy the behavior of those that have hurt me. You can hear, you have to set up a challenge. And in the section just above this, this challenge is to learn something new. And it might be just this, a new way of thinking about yourself. Maybe not all the way different at the moment, but one little segment of it. Maybe you can think of yourself as, as when I'm parenting my kiddos, I am a kind and generous mom. And when I can feel the intensity and the fear grow inside of me, my challenge will be to take a breath and step aside for a minute. Because that way I'm going to win at being a mom. I am worthy of giving myself honor and self-respect. I have value. I contribute in ways that are good for people around me. Now, some of these might be a challenge. Then set up the challenge, track it, write it down, and do it. When you work on that challenge by noticing the good, practicing the good and the kindness you can do and do do, and appreciating the kindness that you see in others, you'll slowly be able to change your mindset of unworthiness or victimhood. This is not quick. That first step one is emotions that are fleeting. They don't stay around for a while. The second step is to set up a challenge to get yourself to continue to try new things, to think things a little bit different, a little bit better. The third part is to set longer range goals about what is my mindset about myself. Because I'm a Christian, I often have to reset my mind to remember that Jesus loves me, has deeply forgiven me, and is not ashamed of me. And that I am best when I remember that his mindset is the more accurate one. And I have to continue to challenge myself to buy into that. Take a look. Who are you following? What mindset do you want to have? And now set goals to continue to get there. These are lifetime goals, but they build a lifetime of happiness. And that's some of what we're after here is not just fleeting happiness, but a base for happiness. I'm sort of inviting you. Look at what annoys you, what ticks you off, what creates sadness or dismay inside of you. Continue to be real about your emotions, as well as being gracious, because that means that you can give the benefit of the doubt to yourself and others, and you can more easily forgive. So, of course, this would include understanding others' perspectives and yours, not necessarily agreeing with everybody's, but just understanding it. Others, of course, live and see life differently than you, and that creates different approaches to things. When we see others through their lenses, we can hang on to the compassion that works in both building happiness in a challenge, but also builds happiness in the small pleasures. Let's go back to Susie. Okay, change it up a little bit. Story could have gone this way. Susie's mom and dad, 
are not very happy or confident people. They don't tell Susie about their love for her or their confidence in her very often. So when Mom asks Susie to go move the stuff from the washer to the dryer, Susie says, I don't want to. And she just tells Susie, just do it. I said, just do it. Mom doesn't really encourage. She doesn't give any explanation about how to do it. So Susie continues to resist and whine. This makes mom feel like a bad mom, not a happy mom, because her little girl won't even move the stuff from the washer to the dryer. How hard can this be? Susie's not cooperating with anything, which must mean that mom is a bad mom. You can see here that because mom is down on herself, she is crabby towards Susie as well. And Susie has a choice in her own little seven-year-old brain. She can stomp up to the washer and the dryer, yank the clothes out of the washer, throw them in the dryer, having some of them just fall on the dirty floor, oh well, close the dryer door, don't start it, and walk away. Yeah, she probably knew the dryer had to be started, but she's just doing what Mom said, move the stuff from the washer to the dryer, and I guess that's how you do it. So mom goes back to check and realizes Susie never started the washer and left some clothes on a heap on the messy floor, and mom's angry. She calls Susie over there. She says, look at this. Mom is a victim of Susie's behavior, but Susie is a victim of mom's behavior. So mom has to listen to this podcast and do some thinking about her own approach to parenting in her own life. When mom comes up to Susie and is sitting in the lazy boy, says to Susie, Hey, Susie, I noticed the stuff today got moved from the washer to the dryer, but the dryer didn't get started. Susie starts to yell, It's not my fault! It's not my fault! And mom smiles towards Susie, softens her tone of voice, and says to Susie, I'm not mad at you. I think you goofed. I think I goofed. I didn't really tell you how to do it. I just bossed you around. And I think we would be better. We would be better if I had talked it through with you or showed you how to do it. I'm really sorry. You really did a pretty good job for never having done it before. So thank you for taking on that challenge and doing it pretty good the first time. Ooh. Susie hasn't remembered her mom talking that honestly and clearly to her before. She's not too sure what to think of this new mom, but she can feel it in her heart. She's a little more settled and calm and safe, and mom can feel it too. So mom, because she's the parent and the leader, put a note in her head and on her dresser and on her phone to remember to be more soft more smiley and more encouraging. And mom did this with Susie. Susie became more cooperative. She skipped and jumped more than she stomped. She giggled and she smiled. So did mom. Then so did dad. And then they began to have a happy hour and a happy home together. Not every day, but lots of days. And that's my wish for you too that you will use these three steps to continue to build happy home and happy hours and hours of happiness in your home. 
Thank you for listening and joining me. We have a Facebook page for you to look up other things on. We also teach a little bit about DNA for fun communications course in each podcast. And this certainly had parenting information in it and emotional control information in it, both of which we approach as we talk about how to parent well and be married well together in the communications course. Stay tuned. We're going to start a new section of that course soon. It will give you the opportunity to learn how to think and react to all those different challenging marriage and parenting spaces. This course is effective and efficient and compassionate. Visit the Austin Kids website to get the information. I look forward to meeting you there and talking with you soon. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.